Sarah. I'm Adam. This is Basic Snitches. Yes, episode 100 and something. 115, I think. Adam's better at numbers and counting than I, I am. I edit it and I make notes. And he puts numbers on the episodes. I do. And sometimes I name them, but lately, this season, my naming I'm has not been I'm fixing the names. It's fine. Don't I worry. I hope you do fix some of them, because some of them are bad. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, well, thank you. So I Googled something cool. Oh, you did? Yes. Was it a picture of me? No, but it has to do with me. Okay. Yeah. So I googled, uh, how do you make a potato candle? And it said, a peeled potato can be cut into the form of a candle, and an almond slice can be used as the candle's wick, and it is a decorative idea. So it's not a real candle, so it's disappointing. You heard that first. Tara is giving decorating advice now on the podcast. Yeah, you know me. She's fucking Martha Stewart. (laughs) I am not fucking Martha Stewart. She wishes she was fucking Martha Stewart. I mean, she it likes would be those fun. old brittle ladies. I mean, I feel like Martha Stewart can tie you down. That could be fun. Speaking of that weird potato candle thing that Tara came up with, here's our Patreon subscribers. I say speaking of because in our Patreon exclusive this week, you'll find out why that potato candle thing all of a sudden is a thing. Anyways, thank you to our patrons. We've got Ashley, Brian, Brittany, Mary Beth, Nisi, and Olivia. You also can be recognized in every single episode by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash basic snitches for only $3 a month. So you're the thing. Just want to real quick talk about chapter eight. Oh yeah, that happens next. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Because it's really important to me. (laughs) Winner and loser. I really want to talk about chapter eight because it's really important to me. Chapter eight is really important to me. But it comes to the winner and loser. Who did it? Who do you think the loser of the chapter is? Mm, Could it be Vudgebagger? What? (laughs) (laughs) Who do you think the winner of the chapter is? I'm going to go with either Dumbledore or Amelia Bones. So it's a dual win. Between those two? No. Oh. Amelia Bones. And Mrs. Fig. Yes! Ah. Oh. So here's... So We'd love I, to hear it. I want to real quick just kind of throw out why Dumbledore did not win for me. Dumbledore did the thing that he had to do because ultimately all the situations come into a head because of him. Yes, he is not the person who murdered Harry's parents and like was the catalyst for the whole fucking series. Dumbledore didn't come in and do anything other than state facts and push everything along. There's a case for him as the winner, but not when you have two strong female bitches kicking ass, and especially Madame Bones. I think that sometimes it's important to highlight people who are just there to be fair. Amelia Bones is a character that we hear about again, that has obviously an extensive and important history, who's clearly worked her ass off to get up. It's overshadowed that there are people there that are like, what's the fair thing to do? And honestly, I think Amelia Bones, who is raising her niece, by the way, you know. Suzanne. <laughs> but she, you know, she's raising a child that's not hers and, and clearly has more compassion and capacity to think outside of this, like, very harsh, like, this person do bad, so they be punished, you know? She has what logic happened? in her brain. She sure does. And she'd be like, mm, that Patronus is very impressive. And she's also a female leader. Let's yeah. pour that It's out very too. important. The female leader that we have met so far with the ministry, the one that we get to know, is not a good one. No. So I wanted to elaborate a little bit on that. Yes, I like the it. obvious answer is Dumbledore, but Mrs. Fig, she is clearly in for the game. She's like, 
Dumbledore wants me to do this. I'm going to do what I can. And she does. She does what she can and it appreciated by Harry and by me and probably by everybody uh, else who read Everyone this else book. who matters. Fuck you, Fudge Packer. So if you don't matter, Amelia Bones ain't here for you. Also, she got a nice monocle. Right? So we didn't get to see it in the movie, but it was in the book. I imagined it real hard. It was cool. <laughs> I shall read a thing. Oh, fuck. I wrote a thing. Tara wrote it. Chapter 9, The Woes of Mrs. Weasley. The hearing has ended and Dumble ghosts Harry. What a rude bitch. Nobody in the courtroom talks to Harry after. It's over. So he awkwardly leaves to tell Arthur that he was cleared of all charges. Before they leave the ministry, Mr. Weasley and Harry observe? Oh. You wrote obverse. I kind of did a voice to text. Oh. Mr. Weasley and Harry obverse some sus behavior from Fudge Packer and Luscious Boy Toy. Both Harry and Papa Weasley pull out some decent sass before they take the lift up to the atrium. Harry donates a bunch of money to the St. Mungo's and they go back to Grimmauld Place. The good news is shared with the crew and Arthur leaves to take care of a shitty task. They're... They're hot... That's it. Their Hogwarts letters arrive with them. A huge surprise for Ron. Dumble is back on his bullshit of making questionable choices and he has made Ron a prefect. Hermione is also prefect, but that is simply unsurprising. Harry struggles with his feelings of Ron being chosen over him as prefect and gets to have a few moments of dealing with trivial teenage bullshit. Dinner is hustling with back-to-school energy that is destroyed by Mad-Eye showing Harry a photo of the OG OOTP. The Augutp. Yes, the Augutp. <laughs> Harry leaves dinner and finds Mrs. Weasley struggling with a bogger. Seeing her family dead before Harry, then Lupin, Sirius, and Mad-Eye come in and basically the chapter ends in a pretty low place. One of those sad emojis. Yeah, there was definitely a sad emoji. Only one, and like Ashley and her 46 crying emojis from her. Oh, she did? Uh Uh-huh. Oh my god, that's hilarious. All the crying emojis happened. Oh. We love you, Ashley. We do love you. Thank you for being our friend. Thank (laughs) you for being our friend. chapter opens up and Percy is a dick. What an interesting thing just to make sure that we throw Percy in there. We didn't mention it at all in the last episode, but there is the image of Arthur and Harry up against the wall and it's like they are part of the wall. It's written in that way. The fucking gay ass Percy Weasley, he walked by with his nose in there. So Percy a dick. I'm always, you know this, looking for these little instances with Percy. But during the last chapter, I remember thinking about the fact that when Harry started at Hogwarts, Percy was a prefect, this semi-authority figure who also happened to be his best friend's brother, who was someone that Harry just like assumed he could always trust. And now look where we are. There's gotta be some conflict in him, I think, over this. Like not like a severe conflict, but just being like, there's gotta be a memory back in there. Be like, oh, I remember when I could like lean over to Percy at dinner and ask him a question and be like, yeah, the best way to get to the potions classroom from astronomy is this things that a prefect would do. And now he's not part of my life anymore. And we're never, have you ever had a person in your life where you're like, I'm not super close to them, but then they're no longer part of your life and you see them over there and there's like some kind of weird feeling. Well, yes. I wonder if Harry has that. And probably at his age he does because he's still young. Because that's his life. That happens all the time. 
People who are part of your chapter now are not likely when going to be your chapter later. Who hasn't had anything? To Harry, I feel like his life started at eleven, so he's only five years into this shit. Well, you know, that's the thing. If the, if this is one of the first ones, and I mean, there's already been several. They've left his life in other ways, like Cedric. Let's say that is a part of life, and perhaps Percy represents growing up in somewhat of that way. But it's normal and it's okay mm-hmm. for people to leave your life when you move on, and so on and so forth. Do you also get the feeling, though, that, like, Percy making a point to not talk to his father and Harry is maybe a sign that he is aware that there's a part of him that recognizes that he is in the wrong? Oh, absolutely. There's gotta be something with Percy where... I mean, I think because if it wasn't like that, then he would never come back around. Spoiler. Also, his father works there at the ministry and stuff. Percy is very inexperienced as well. Like, he literally he, is a child there's, still. I think with Percy, yeah, there's such a level of ambition there without knowing much about how to navigate the world and everything. Yeah. I mean, there's no surprise that Percy is brought up in this instance where prefects are a theme in the chat. Just wanted to mention that. I mean, it's not a huge thing, but obviously right after this, what they end up seeing is the scene that we talked about in the last chapter, and that's Lucius and Fudge kind of talking and everything. And Lucius is getting into Harry's business, and then when Harry talks back to the quote-unquote adult, that's when he's like, that's none of your business. And I wrote, Lucius, it's none of Harry's business. Well, it's none of your business. What does the outcome of his hearing have anything to do with you in the verse? place. And this is where I said that it makes Fudge seem like he's a death eater, even though he's just so blinded by this false prize. And that's where the Imperious Curse is brought up. I agree with the idea that people will be like, yeah, maybe that is the Imperious Curse. But I think that Fudge in the last two books, even when we're like, oh, Fudge isn't the worst. He is just a bumbling idiot. Mm -hmm. But like, I think that it's been made clear that Fudge is corrupt. I think so, too. It also just shows that, like, Harry coming to that conclusion just really shows how advanced his thought process can be. Arthur even says, you know, we don't think we haven't thought of it. Yes, but part of the order, you have meetings with Dumbledore. This is a thing that needs to be discussed. Harry has been in the dark, in the dark, in the dark, in the dark. And then for the last week and a half or two weeks or however long, he waited until this fucking hearing since he was rescued. That his brain is going all these directions and his first interaction in a magical place with not the family that he has created at Grimwald Place is like, holy shit, the world is completely upside down from this time last year. Last year he was a rebel because he was in the Triwizard Tournament. It was like, oh, you're a cheater. This is not the same thing. His livelihood is severely affected by that. No one is believing him. He's in this place where like the people who are believing him, no one's able to get the point across to the people who should be able to make a difference who should be able to change things and effectively save us from a fucking virus. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Well, okay. Yes, all of that is valid. I mean, that's really what it is, though. And here he is hanging out with fucking Russia over here. Like The difference here is that the virus is not widespread yet. I'm not trying to no, stick no, no, up no, for no, fudge. No, 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 you're not wrong. I think that's a good point. I think it's a different context, because when we are talking about, like, old fudge at, like, the beginning of book three, for example, like, yes, he's bumbling, he's prideful, etc. In this instance, yes, it is a different context, but it's great. The whole point of this is that, yes, Harry is able to look ahead and think about the Imperius Curse, which shows how far he is into wanting to be a part of the Order, it's foreshadowing to his career as an Order, all of that stuff. 
Well, the, um, and because he sees him with the Death Eater. Yeah. He's like, who the fuck's running this show? Well, the Death Eater, and they make a point to say that it's the Death Eater that he called out when he was in the hospital wing, too. Truly what it is in this instance, too, is just, like, the, the blind self-preservation that Fudge is trying to enact upon himself without looking at the logic and everything. Well, um, and in that case, because I've said this last episode, Arthur tells Harry that Dumbledore thinks Fudge is acting of his own accord, and then to come full circle from what I had said earlier, we kind of can see that. But I follow both sides of it. Totally. And the scary thing is that it is of his own accord. So when they get out of this dungeon, there starts to be this like sense of a relief pouring over him, mm-hmm. which is another such a realistic moment. You know, I especially talk about with Harry's feelings and kind of inner monologue, what is realistic and some of it is the overthinking and stuff which I actually mm-hmm. have a little bit more about that later because there's more of that that happens. In this case, this feeling of relief where even if it's like something that you had to do that you weren't looking forward to doing and then when it's done you're like, oh, it's in the past you don't have to worry about it mm-hmm. anymore. Is that sort of feeling that you can almost feel now that the this hearing is over and he's true to his word and he donates all that money to St. Mungo's. It's not lost on me that he just ran into a fucking bribe going down. Yeah. And then it was like, here's all this money. That's a really to, good like, way to look I at mean, it. I mean, I know that there's other people that have been like, why the fuck doesn't Harry just give all his money to the Weasleys or whatever? And there's like some pride and there's some deep shit that goes into that. But honestly, Harry is a very generous person. Mm-hmm. He won the Triwizard Tournament and he was like, here, people that I care about, here's this money because I know that what you're going to do with it is going to make things better and also I don't need it. And we could need a laugh. And he's just like, yeah, St. Mungo's here. We also have talked about our expectation of what happens after the series ends that he goes to make up for that. You know, he marries Jimmy. Obviously, there's probably a lot that he does as an adult. It's worth also noting that he, once again, how we bring this up constantly, but it's worth noting because we're exploring some very adult themes here. He is still a minor. You know, when you're young, we're always told to save up your money for the future. I mean, do we always do that? No. There are video games that we want to buy or what have you. Technically, he's kind of doing the right thing. In some of these moments, he is being generous, you know? Well, literally like a page after... A fucking bribe is going down. He's like, nah, here's this money for nothing. Yeah, I like... No one, no one knows who threw that money in there. St. Mungo's is like, thanks for uh, that money. Yeah. I like that you noticed that. The fact that it's after a bribe, because this is also where then he notices all the things about the film that we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. About it being extremely fake, and these creatures would never look up to wizards this way. There's a lot of, like, little details here about what is happening on... Well, I was going to say in the background, but also, I guess, in the foreground, since yeah. we just had this hearing. So it's interesting that that happens, this whole thing with the fountain in all of those aspects, and then boom, we're back at Grimmauld Place. It kind of gives an interesting button on that, like, Ministry of Magic stuff. Yeah. So when they do get to Grimmauld Place, they get their letters, and Ron is a prefect. In your thing, you were, like, in a shocking turn of events, Ron is a prefect. I was more, like, proud of him. I was like, whoa, like, good So here's you, the thing, is I actually am proud of Ron. Okay. For comedic effect and also let's be honest the only Gryffindor fifth year who deserves to be a prefect is Dean Thomas and I will fight uh, yes me. I can like see that. this has always been a thing where like oh we just expected it to be Harry and I'm like why and Harry goes through that whole process he goes it. through that process but he's still stuck in his head of like I did all of these things I'm so great he's really going through this 
roller coaster of not feeling great and then trying to build himself up by looking at all the things that he's done. But like, a prefect does not suit all of the things that he's done. And is it really becoming for Harry always to get everything? Aren't well, people sick of this shit by now? Well, and I think that that's one reason why I look at it as Dumbledore making a questionable decision. And later in the chapter when Sirius said, oh, Lupin got the badge. And he was making the comment, you know, like, you have the four marauders and obviously out of the four of them, yeah, if you're going to give one of them a fuck prefix badge it's gonna be lupin but dumbledore didn't know how to do that what is the goal what do you want the prefects to do it sounds like percy had the prefect thing down and then he was a fucking pompous ass on top of it but like you know during the third book when he's like i'm gonna take you to your comment like you know you saw that in the very first book where he takes gryffindors up to the, the comments trail. he's very yeah. much Dolores and Jane Umbridge. That was when we first saw Dolores right. and Jane but no like the very very first time they go to their their common room is the prefects are in charge, you know, and they're like, okay, well, Percy's doing this. This leadership type thing, I don't see that in Ron or, honestly, Lupin. Dumbledore was just like, these are the people I need to keep a lookout on. Here's the way that I equate it is that it's an RA. People apply to be an RA. Nobody's perfect. Like, over my time as an RA, and so I was an RA for two years in one summer. I was one of the few people selected to be a summer RA. Some people are an RA for one year and they're not an RA anymore because they realize it's not really for them. Some people looking for a leadership position or something like that. Maybe it's purely that Ron has exhibited leadership qualities. So sure, let's give him a chance. Maybe more leadership qualities than Dean. You know, some people when they get in the role, they're not completely fit to continue doing it. You know, there are several people that I was an RA with that on the surface, oh, it seems like they'd be a great RA. They're supportive, etc. But some of the qualities of an RA they weren't able to necessarily handle no matter what the situation was. That may be the case here with Ron. Who knows? Maybe it's something of like, well, he's going to have to work with Hermione and who's going to work best with Hermione? Ron. It could be that. That part, I agree with 100%. I don't trust Dumbledore judgment on a lot of these things. Yes. Hermione is a very easy choice. The idea of someone working directly with Hermione, I'm sure the Dumbledore immediately was like, well, Harry what i probably shouldn't make harry everything so get wrong the path that i feel like he took mentally okay i that don't think is logical i think that he really really should have been like who's going to be in this leadership position there's nothing that ron has done that has given any sort of indication that he would take initiative and as we see throughout the book Ron does not take initiative as a prefect. He doesn't do shit as a prefect. Sure. So here's my other thing. Does Dumbledore just choose who they are? Because another thing while Because I think this, if the heads of house chose them, it would be different. That was going to be my next thing. When I was reading this, I was like, McGonagall should be choosing who they because are. Because honestly, I don't know that McGonagall would have even chosen Hermione. The heads it, of house know the students well enough. Hermione always puts too much on herself, too. I mean, so, McGonagall was there to sign off on the fucking time turner. Yeah. You know, she'd be like, mm, maybe not for this girl. Which, hey. She's only that kind of stress that's fine or it, i feel like she'd write her hermione a letter or something like also they don't give the kids this like hey you should apply well that was gonna be my other thing there's no application process you know just being chosen as one obviously this is a big deal for mrs weasley and i love how happy she is and her reaction and that she buys him a new broom and everything. i hate it i like it i she's proud of her kid she wants to um reward him and everything she just kind of sidestep the twins and everything it's cute and all i do think think that the way that you describe Dumbledore's thought process of choosing Ron 
That makes a lot of sense. There's a lot on Dumbledore's mind as well. But I do ultimately think there should have been like an application process because you know, what if ultimately who got the prefect doesn't want to do it? What if Hermione were to say, I have too much on my plate, so on and so forth, but then you don't give them the opportunity to interview and really see if they're good for the job. You just do it based on looking at how they react in their first four years or whatever. I do agree. I think that like if McGonagall had chosen, perhaps it would have been Parvati, Parvati, yeah. She's the Gryffindor. Maybe it would have been her and Dean or something, which, fine. I don't another, know, I still think... It's for us to learn another fifth-year Gryffindor female's yeah. name. Or that... you know, there's probably, there's got to be more than Hermione and Lavender and Pavardi. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think at the end of the day, I think the most interesting thing about this is the dynamic between Harry and Ron and some of Harry's reactions. At the end of the day, I'm kind of proud at Ron, especially, like... We haven't seen as much growth with him, and it is an opportunity. If we're looking at right now, rather than what happens, great. Like, let's see what happens and Mm -hmm. kind of look at it as, like, we're reading it for the first time and give Ron the benefit of the doubt, which we don't usually get him, you know? All joking aside, my feelings on this is not a dig at Ron, because I agree that Ron should be given an opportunity. That being said, we don't know that this is something Ron wants. If there were a poster put up in the common room, would Ron be like, yeah, I'm going to sign up for that? That being is that said, something Harry would sign up for, too? We have to talk about that, too. No, it wouldn't be. I absolutely think. not. I agree. But to the reactions of Ron getting it, everyone looks like an asshole. Harry, the fact that we, one, get to be inside of his head, and two, like, we know kind of where Harry's brain has been the last few weeks, Harry's reaction is the least of my problems. Harry, like, giving himself that self-assessment and all that, I want to talk about that in a second. Everyone's like, are you fucking sure? Including Mrs. Weasley. She is surprised. To Ron, yeah. To Ron. The twins are assholes about it. And, like, I get it. And this is, like, the joke or whatever. It's the twin thing. Sure. Her older brothers. Hermione, when Harry's like, no, it's Ron. Hermione's like, oh. It's a real unflattering reaction from everyone. And it makes me so sad for Ron because he just stands there and takes it. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't feel like he's allowed to defend himself. Part of it is because he stands there and he's like, yeah, they're probably right. And that's sad. There's so much of a negative reaction that it just makes everything feel so much like no one thinks Ron can do this. That's a good point. I will say, out of all of those, Hermione's reaction, I think, is the worst. Because she does at first, is like, oh my god, Harry. And then <clears throat> Harry is like, oh, and she's like, oh. The twins... And the and the mom is <laughs> what mom. I was to say. And, 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 and Molly. the Molly. And the Molly. It's family. Family dynamics are a completely different thing. Sure, sure, sure. Yes, you know? I agree with and that. And the way that Molly turns around with everything, I really enjoy it. And I did not really necessarily look at the twins at all because the twins are their older brothers. It's their thing. Yes, those are expected. That doesn't make them okay. It's not just Mrs. Weasley's reaction to Ron. It's literally the glossing over of the twins. It's very clear that the twins have been the, like, red-headed stepchildren in the red-headed family. You know what I'm saying? Like, they are the ones that are already not meeting her expectations. And she's already made the comment before that, oh, Ron's going to be more like the twins, not like the other three perfect older brothers. So everybody like, in the family. She, yes. yes. And then she does the everybody in the family. And Fred and George are like, are you fucking kidding me? And, like, yes, it's all joking, but it's also very fucking serious. Well, okay, so now that when you say that, because 
everyone in the family, but Percy is no longer part of the family. The twins are right there. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, like, that's an extra bite at them. And again, it's reactionary. She gets a hold of herself and she's like, no, I'm rewarding Ron. And yes, Ron is a good kid. And Ron is a great heart. And absolutely, is Ron capable of it? Absolutely. You know, like, I think there's no argument there. But it's uncomfortable. And it's frustrating. And I go, maybe not. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing, all of that considered, that I think is the most problematic at the end of the day, because they work through some of this, is her casting off of the twins. Yes. And I That's think, always my biggest frustration with Molly. And I do think in the scope of this, well, let's say in the scope from book four to the end and the twins' trajectory, in some ways, and I'm not trying to say that Molly is in the right necessarily regarding the twins, it makes sense with how they go forward with this joke shop and how it's not, doesn't live up to Molly's expectations. And then even what happens at the very end to one of the twins. It's good to see all of these bits and pieces because it gives a little bit of shape to Molly's character when she is like the ultimate Quinn, you know? Well, I mean, that's, and that's, again, like I'm not here to harp on Molly because I think that that's important. And also like in a family with that many kids I mean you and I are from families of three and four kids our families are significantly smaller than the Weasleys we are the oldest children in our families these are middle children we don't know what it's like to be middle children and also the interesting thing is that in a different way like Percy follows this whole line of expectation and then when it comes to a pivotal point he breaks away but he still is technically following that same exact projection that Mrs. Weasley wanted for him and the twins who didn't break away are continuing to fall in this other line and they stick to that and i think it's really important to like remember that when we get into the next couple books that is probably a thing that happens with parents where they're like they're not purposely casting anyone off it's just a thing you know you have seven children and that goes there there are a lot of things that i've done that my parents would not choose for me you know and there's kind of a little bit of a a piece of me that's like yeah I feel good that I'm not doing any of this I think you and should I think, and I think the twins also are like this is what we know how to do you can want me to do this but this is not what we want to do this is what we know how to do well, we do it well. let's be devil's advocate same thing for Percy at the end of the day, the expectations of your parents do not define what you are able to do for your life because it is your life and not theirs. Exactly. Like, I recently saw TikTok of a scene of somebody at the office and some coworker comes up to the woman doing her copies and just out of the blue is like, ah, so I, we don't really know each other, but I heard that you don't want to have children. Who's going to take fun. care of you when you're older? And then the person was like, well, how do you know your children are going to want to take care of you when you're older? Just because you're having children does not mean that they are... It's not why you have children. Yeah. yeah. You are giving them life. You are not giving them the opportunity to take care of you forever. And I think some of the older generations certainly have those thoughts. And I'm not saying that Molly or Arthur do. I don't necessarily think that that's true. But expectations of parents play into all of this. Absolutely. I think Molly and Arthur are incredible parents. And when I am being critical of their parentage, it's in the context of, you know, just trying to find, like, a balance in the series and trying to really just discuss it. Understanding that they're not perfect, but they're also wonderful. And this is why, like, the initial reaction, I'm like, yeah. that's a rough look. But also, you said, and you're like, I love how she turned it around. And I do too. I'm sure Molly, because I feel like both Molly and Arthur are also from larger families. I feel like Molly probably turned around and was like, how would I feel as 
one of the youngest children in a family of like all the perfect children ahead of me. Like there's a long process to that. Mm. There's one other thing that I want to say before we move into Harry too. And speaking of parents and children and stuff, because I'm sure that some folks who are parents might listen to this and be like, well, but it's a parent thing to worry and it's a parent thing, blah, blah, blah. blah. And like, I get that. It's also a child thing to worry. It's a human thing to worry about the people who are in your life and that you want X, Y, Z for them, but it's not up for you to give it to them. At the end of the day, it's what I already said. It's their life. They have to make those mistakes. They have to do all of this. There are studies out there that show if you shield your children from making mistakes or learning things, that it's not going to benefit them in the long run. Things like that. So I just want to say that as like almost... defending myself almost because I don't want people to automatically think oh well you can't just like be a parent and push them out into the world honestly like with a safety net I think it's fine make them learn these mistakes and everything absolutely I sort of think in some ways that's what the Weasleys do you know they could be more controlling over Percy with this whole fight and everything and now Percy's sort of on his own and everything but and he's on his own very young yeah very young he still has many mistakes to make but they do kind of like push that out and they we see that with the twins too and they let them do this stuff and i think that's important now with harry i do still think that harry's reaction has well yes and no some of the bigger issues here so i'm just gonna say what i wrote harry is listening to his inner saboteur here because some of it has to do with his own competence issue well why didn't i get chosen for this and then of course i wrote exactly what i already said does he really want it is he really the best person for it just because you slayed a basilisk in the basement of the fucking school doesn't mean that makes you the best person to be the prefect from your class you know it's just like just because you are the star quarterback doesn't mean that you're going to be the best RA let's say it like that so I think there's some of that and there's this pettiness that Harry thinks and of course he doesn't let it out which I guess is a good thing when he ends up chatting with Ron He does commend him for it and congratulate him and everything. And all of that is good. And I guess maybe you could say that he kind of thought it through and then then let it out. But I don't know. I think his thought process here, especially now that the hearing is over and he's kind of like gone through that. And now he is back in the magical world. You know, all of the issues and the conflicts that he's already had and been resolved. I think this stoops to a completely different petty level. Another thing that I am starting to wonder too, because this is the chapter where it says that, oh, his scar always hurts too. So I'm wondering more and more if some of this overthinking, because we're seeing a lot of it in the book Uh so far, especially this early when we don't necessarily tend to see that. And in the past, I've talked about Harry being a very mindful character too. Wondering if that scar is causing some of this. It's like early symptoms almost, you know? I'm under the impression, having read these books of too many times and after reading the final chapters of this book that the ever-present pain that Harry is getting in his head I think that there's an attempt at symbolizing depression on top of the fact that Voldemort is present. By the end of the book, you know, it is stated that probably Harry's scar was hurting all the time because Voldemort is actually penetrating his thoughts or trying to. 
and he's working up to where he is able to do so much of that controlling and stuff later on in the book and we will discuss it more when we get to like the dream and with everything serious and that is all super super important and this is I think you know how at the beginning of like a couple chapters ago where Jenny was talking about how she was like throwing dung bombs at the door to see if there was a penetrative charm it's kind of like Voldemort's (laughs) doing that to Harry he's like trying to get you know what I'm saying that is a great comparison Uh, I do what I can oh my god but like Voldemort's like what can I do to get into this kid so and that's obviously a a thing that Dumbledore says later he was like you know I was afraid when I looked at Harry Voldemort would be seeing into me it's too dangerous for Dumbledore to be close to Harry because of that but that being said I appreciate what this is for Harry what happens here in this is something that doesn't actually happen often in fiction and doesn't always happen in real life in a way that we're willing to admit he has this reaction why not me? We've all been there. Wait, I don't understand. And then you go through all these reasons in your head. Like, it should absolutely be me. Here's all the reasons why. And then Harry has this beautiful moment where he was like, but I'm not. I'm not better than Ron. Ron's my friend. He's disgusted with himself for having these petty feelings. It's very human, you know? And he's like, God, I was so focused on this and I didn't realize this. And like, he basically gives himself his own berating. That doesn't happen in fiction. Like, we don't get to have that. It doesn't happen in fiction. I think you're completely right. We get this whole chapter of Harry being in angst world and we're like, look at the emotional and mental processes he just went through in this chapter. And then when Ron comes back, he's like, he is genuinely happy for his friend. He's like, I didn't actually want this. He reacted negatively and then gave himself permission to be critical of himself and be like, it's not what I want. I'm actually happy for my friend. I'm disgusted with myself for having this moment. And then he moves like, it's so brilliant and it's such a great moment for Harry. Okay, you have kind of convinced me. I'm kind of turning my thought around because... When I read it, I kind of felt like he's in his mind, he's in his mind and stuff, and then he snaps back into reality and Ron's and he's like, you know what, congratulations. Like, I didn't necessarily see that him work it through in his head. I mean, it's interesting, because everybody can, like, kind of almost interpret this stuff in, in different ways, too. Yeah, I mean, the way that I read it, especially because he kind of got through everything. He, at this point, he is going back to Hogwarts. He got through the hearing, he's like, Rimmel Place, he's with all of his people, he was talking about like getting ready to go back to Hogwarts and all this great stuff, seeing Hagrid going down to the greenhouse and seeing the vegetable patches, all of that, playing Quidditch. And then he let this kind of thing get into his mind. But like you said, that does happen to everybody. Like It that, does. You're in a good mood and then something happens that seems like a slight that at first you're like, what? Why are you coming for me? But then when you work it through, it's like, oh. So yes. Let me read this little paragraph because okay. I think it's more succinct than what I said because I just rambled. This is when he's alone in the room. Harry gave a small snort of laughter. A second later, he felt sickened with himself. Ron had not asked Dumbledore to give him the prefect badge. This was not Ron's fault. Was he, Harry, Ron's best friend in the world, going to sulk because he didn't have a badge, laugh with the twins behind Ron's back, and ruin this for Ron when, for the first time, he had beaten Harry at something? There's I'm, a epiphany. I'm going to be his friend because that's what I am. Yeah. So it is kind of there. I don't know. I think the way that I read it, I was, maybe I was just thinking about like Harry's thought trajectory in this whole like chapter. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, I think that that at the end of the day kind of makes sense. The next thing that we talk about is dinner. There's a few little details that happens here. One of them is Tonks looks like Ginny's older sister. I just had to point that out because we mentioned it earlier in a previous episode. Today, I'm I'm a little like Ginny. I loved that. Speaking of the twins, there's this little negotiation thing and the way they get through that with Mundungus Fletcher. Using Moody. 
And then the third big thing here, speaking of Moody, is the picture of the original Order of the Phoenix. Yes. The only other thing you didn't mention was, we kind of discussed it earlier, Lupin getting the prefix badge and all of that. Yeah. And kind of thinking about that was kind of interesting. But yeah, so Moody's like, here's this picture. So the first time I read it, I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And then Harry is like disturbed by it. And I'm like... Really? And then I think about it and I'm like, I get why there's all these people in this like, that are no longer here. I think it's I get the, it. the way that these people perished. Well, and when Moody was... is not like this like nurturing, lovely presence. He's just like, check this out. And yeah, he's like, there's that. Well, so what it kind of made me think of, and I mentioned this, I think I'm as a Patreon exclusive. A few weeks ago, I went to New York and I met some of my dad's cousins that I'd never met and they were super cool. And actually, if some of y'all are listening to this, Jen, Laura, Marty, Sue, please email us at bizxmistersgmail.com because they're all Harry Potter fans. And I feel like this is something that they would listen to too, so. But Jen, she was showing me all of these old family pictures and stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is fascinating. We talked a little bit about my dad's dad's side of the family, which I really have not known as much about. The side that I know the most about is my dad's mom's side of the family. And I was like, this is all so fascinating. And of course, a lot of these people are dead. We were up there for my great uncle's burial ceremony. Despite that, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is great. Like, I'm learning so much more about, like, my past and everything. But in this case, I really do think it is... Well, first of all, he never met his parents, and they were super young. Neville's parents, obviously. And then the rest of these people, the circumstances under which that they died. Yeah. So, yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. At the same time, it's super interesting, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think it is, too. And I know we're not that far in the movie at all, but I really like that they have that picture hanging in the movie requirement in the movie. It's it's movie canon only, but I really like it. The only other thing that happens in this chapter is what happens near the end to Molly. And that is that they finally tackle the boggart in the drawing room. Because what Molly's boggart is, and it's her family dying, as well as Harry and everything. Like, the way that it's presented, though, is Harry is like, I have to get away from this disturbing thing. And he goes upstairs, and he hears crying, and he walks in the room. And he sees his best friend dead on the floor. Yeah. God bless him because, like, no, wait, no, Ron was just downstairs. And then, like, all of it coming to a head for him. Enough time for him to tell Mrs. Weasley that he's here for everyone else to come upstairs. Well, the three of them. Well, and similarly how Lupin immediately is like, ah, this is what it is, and he takes care of it. Probably the deeper thing to me is, like, everything that Molly says afterwards, like, all of her worries bubbling out because of this, of, like, what happens this time? You know, it's another war. Everybody isn't going to survive. What happened if me and Arthur were to die? Mm -hmm. All of that. That is the more realistic ramifications of what is happening because, yes, we've seen all these plans and stuff up to this point, but this is the true nature of what could actually happen here. Well, you know, she has one son that doesn't even live in this country. You know, two sons that are out living on their own. She's got two more sons who are in their final year at Hogwarts. She's got Harry, who she cares about, and he's got a lot of shit going on. The stress of the day, like wondering if Harry was going to get cleared of charges. You know, her four youngest kids are going to school, and she's not going to see them until Christmas. There's a lot of that building up in her. No wonder 
that the Boggart was able to just kind of be like, nah, I got this. You know she's a powerful, badass, awesome witch who can take out a Boggart, but she's emotionally just not in a place for it. Well, not only that, but I had mentioned earlier when we were talking about her reaction to the prefect thing, but it's good to see the vulnerability. It's always good to see these instances where I these agree. characters happen. And it's also good for Harry to see that because Harry automatically is like, I get it. She's like, oh my God, you probably think that I'm pathetic. And Harry's like, are you fucking kidding me? He, literally, it's like, bitch, please. I think that these moments are really important to point out because of Harry's angsty trajectory through this book. No, he's still our Harry. He's still our sweet, mindful Harry with Voldemort closer to being in his brain now. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot for him. The first introduction to this part of the scene for him is literally seeing Ron dead on the floor, yeah. too. It's interesting that the chapter is called The Woes of Mrs. Weasley, and it's not really about the end of the chapter. It's about the build-up to the end of the chapter. You see Percy at the beginning of the chapter. You see her have that conflict with the twins that she brushes off. You see her be like, Ron, I'm so proud of you. And then you just see her fall apart. All right, you ready to play the game? What is it? The game is, close your book, it's quiz! It's your turn, bitch. I don't know if I should time you or not. I didn't time you. So. You sure did time me! I gave you like two fucking minutes. Yeah, that was timing. Okay, well, time me. I'm not gonna time you. Ready? Number one, we got five questions. What is the handle of Ron's broom made of? I don't fucking know. Make a guess. Cherry wood. Okay. What do Fred and George buy from Mendemgus Fletcher? Venomous tentacula egg. Close. Something with venomous tentacula. Yes. Aren't they eggs? What are they? Seeds. Wait. They're venomous tentacula seeds. You got it. When Harry is overthinking after Ron becomes a prefect, what are the two of the four things that Harry thinks about that he has done? Bought the basilisk. He saw twirl. That's enough. He did it. Did adventure thing. That's bonus. Who wrote the new data book? Someone's slay hard. You're very, very close. Last question. Name three of the quote-unquote minor witches or wizards in the original Order of the Phoenix photo that have died or vanished. Fabian Pruitt. Dorcas Meadows. The other Pruitt brother. I don't know. Do you want to try one more? No. Okay. You did very, very well. Okay. First question. What is the handle of Ron's broom made out of? You were very wrong. It's Spanish. Yeah, I don't Oak. give a shit because sports. Number two, you got it. It was venomous tentacula seeds. I was like, I know it's venomous tentacula Not eggs, something. but then you got seeds. So yeah, very good. Number four, that was the easiest one. It was basically the four things he did at the end of the four books. Oh, yeah. Huh. But I want to see if you would, you know, guess something else. Number five, it's not slink hard. It's Wilbert Slink Ham. So you're close. You know what? Unless, well, maybe it is Slink Hard. Maybe it looks like ham here. Maybe it is Slink Hard. Well, no. Now I want to know because I read the chapter and then I, I listened like, to the chapter. Look at, maybe... that, look at that at the very end there. Doesn't that look like Slink Ham in my handwriting? But then you look yeah, at it again. I think it's Slink I think, Hard. I think it's Slink Hard too now. William Slink Hard. Okay. Wilbert yep. Slink Hard. Yep. So you had Slink Hard right, even though I thought at first that said Slink Ham in my handwriting. So I was right. Your handwriting was wrong. Well, you're half You didn't get his first name. You were very close with the last one. Dorcas Meadows is correct. She was the one he killed himself. Mm -hmm. Fabian Pruitt is not correct because he was not in the photo. 
Gideon Pruitt was. Gideon Pruitt. Which you, Fabian you, is the one she... Because those are Molly's brothers. Yes. And Molly gives Harry Fabian's watch on his 17th birthday. Okay. I know all kinds of fucking trivia. I just don't know yeah. the specific... Fabian Pruitt was not in the photo, but he was mentioned and how those two like really fought hard. The other four names are Marlene McKinnon, Edgar Bones, Amelia's brother. Brother, which is Susie's father. Yes. Benji Fenwick and Caradoc Dearborn. All of those sound familiar except the last one. Caradoc Dearborn, yeah. Who? Yeah. Do you know anybody named Caradoc? Well, now I do. I've never heard that name ever in my fucking life. Caradoc Dearborn and I are now best friends. Justice for Caradoc. Caradoc is dead, so we're not friends. Are you ready to talk about this movie? I'm sorry, what movie? Ding dong. You ready to hear my points? Or do you have is anything there, to say about the movie? Is there anything in the movie? The only thing about the movie is literally that later we see the photo, like you mentioned. And that's like, whoa, later in the book. Yes. And that we already saw kind of movie. Fudge and Lucius sitting over there. Yeah, there's nothing else there. I don't know that there needed to be. I agree. Well, the main two things that happen in this chapter, in my opinion, are that Ron and Hermione are now prefects. And what happens to Molly at the end. I don't necessarily think either are necessary. In I mean, the movie, at I least. think, yeah, I think they're important to the plot, but for this medium, no. Yeah, I agree. I was about to read you the quiz again, because it's right next to it. <laughs> I am giving plus 15 to Ron for becoming a prefect, and I'm only giving five to Hermione. Now, this is before our conversation earlier, but Hermione, like, we've been new. Sure, congratulations, Hermione. That's awesome. But Ron, getting it, I'm still proud of him. I think it's a big achievement, even though Dumbledore just, you know, flipped a coin or whatever. But that being said, Ron gets credit for something. And I think that this is also could maybe be a catalyst for some growth for him. So I am giving 15 to Molly too, um, both for handling that bogger and going through all of that. And like, yes, we already talked about how she kind of like sidestepped the twins, but I do really like that she is proud of her son and she buys him the new broom and everything. Plus 10 to Moody. Even though it's a Moody thing to just be like, hey, look at this photo I showed. I think it's pretty cool. And I think Moody deserves some points as well. He hasn't gotten that many over the... the <laughs> any know. true points. And he's, like, real fucking good. He's great. So, plus 10 to Moody. I'm also going to be in plus 10 to Lupin. Because he is kind of the voice of reason in this chapter still, That's too. dude. We didn't really talk about him a ton. Other than, like, was Lupin really the best person to be a prefect? But... There is this overarching thing of Lupin is the voice of reason. He's the one to come in. He's the one to... Re- be reliable, he ends up defeating the Bogger, etc. So while Lupin isn't at the forefront at all, I think, even in this book, I mean, he's there, but he's not at the forefront, he still deserves some points, I think. Negative 10 to Lucius, because he nasty. And it would be more, but his hair is so good. Oh. <laughs> and then negative 5 to Percy. He is also a prick. Yes. With that, our book ends to this chapter, that Percy is a dick. Next time we will be reading chapter 10, which is, do you know the name? Because I do. I literally did and now it is gone. Chapter 10, Luna Lovegood! Chapter 10, the best character in the series! Oh my god! So we met Umbridge last chapter. Right. And they're like, oh, we sorry, babes. Here's Luna Lovegood. Here you go. She's the greatest. I cannot wait to have Luna in our lives. And we will also be joined by Brian O'Jackson next time. You know him. 
Here's why I say Luna is the best character in the series. Because she is. She is. <laughs> the end. But no. Um, Music. Yeah. Right? But you you know how like you'll be like, who are your top five favorite characters? Every person you ask that question to, the only person that... Luna and McGonagall are on everyone's list. Yeah, I can see that. Like, Hermione isn't on my list. I but would, Luna and McGonagall sure fucking are. I would need to sit down and really think about that. I bet you anything, at least one of them are on your list. I'm but sure I McGonagall's. I feel like both of them are on sure. your list. McGonagall is definitely on mine. Hermione is probably on mine. Luna Lovegood. And here's why. Because Because we'll talk about it in the next us. chapter when we meet her. Because... Stay tuned for our next chapter. There you go. Next episode. There you go. Chapter episode Simpson. You know, yeah. Love it. Sponsor us. Patreon.com says Beastie Snitches. Luna Lovegood. Sponsor us. Yes, Luna! Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. Join our social media pages. Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out!